So many, so many, so many damn books. Hello, welcome to So Many Damn Books. It's your old buddy, your old pal, Christopher. We hope you all are taking care of each other and staying safe. This episode, Drew and I thought we'd read aloud to you a couple choices from uh, the public domain. If you'd like to sip something while you listen, can I recommend an old-fashioned? A measure of whiskey, some simple syrup, and whatever bitters you might have on hand? Here's Drew. So I was trying to think about what piece to read. And fortunately, a lot of the short stories that I was thinking about are not exactly appropriate for this time. Like I thought uh, The Mask of the Red Death might be a little um, bad for right now. So I started poking around a little bit and going back through some of the the readings that I had pulled out for various things that I had done back when I was working at the public. And there's this piece that had long stuck with me from 1879 by a, a little known humorist named Mark Twain. And we did an event at the public where Bill Irwin read this uh, in, gosh, that must have been early 2018. And the piece has always just kind of lingered in my mind. Uh, and I went back to reread it. And I just, I think it's hilarious. It obviously has some mm, pertinent sentiments for our present as we head into uh, general election season. But it's also, I don't know, I think anytime you can get a little bit of a, a wry twain in there, it's a good attempt. So here we go. A Presidential Candidate by Mark Twain I have pretty much made up my mind to run for president. What the country wants is a candidate who cannot be injured by investigations of his past history so that the enemies of the party will be unable to rake up anything against him that nobody ever heard of before. If you know the worst about a candidate, to begin with, every attempt to spring things on him will be checkmated. Now, I am going to enter the field with an open record. I am going to own up in advance to all the wickedness I have done, and if any congressional committee is disposed to prowl around my biography in the hope of discovering any dark and deadly deed that I have secreted, why... Let it prowl. In the first place, I admit that I treed a rheumatic grandfather of mine in the winter of 1850. He was old and inexpert in climbing trees, but with the heartless brutality that is characteristic of me, I ran him out of the front door in his nightshirt at the point of a shotgun and caused him to bowl up a maple tree, where he remained all night while I emptied shot into his legs. I did this because he snored. I will do it again if I ever have another grandfather. I am as inhuman now as I was in 1850. And I candidly acknowledge that I ran away at the Battle of Gettysburg. My friends have tried to smooth over this fact by asserting that I did so for the purpose of imitating Washington, who went into the woods at Valley Forge for the purpose of saying his prayers. It was a miserable subterfuge. I struck out in a straight line for the Tropic of Cancer because I was scared. I wanted my country saved, but I preferred to have somebody else save it. I entertain that preference yet. If the bubble reputation can be obtained only at the cannon's mouth, I'm willing to go there for it, provided the cannon is empty. If it is loaded, my immortal and inflexible purpose is to get over the fence and go home. 
My invariable practice in war has been to bring out of every fight two-thirds more men than when I went in. This seems to me to be Napoleonic in its grandeur. My financial views are of the most decided character, but they are not likely, perhaps, to increase my popularity with the advocates of inflation. I do not insist upon the special supremacy of rag money or hard money. The great fundamental principle of my life is to take any kind I can get. The rumor that I buried a dead aunt under my grapevine was correct. The vine needed fertilizing, my aunt had to be buried, and I dedicated her to this high purpose. Does that unfit me for the presidency? The constitution of our country does not say so. No other citizen was ever considered unworthy of this office because he enriched his grapevines with his dead relatives. Why should I be selected as the first victim of an absurd prejudice? I admit also I am not a friend of the poor man. I regard the poor man in his present condition as so much wasted raw material. Cut up and properly canned, he might be made useful to fatten the natives of the cannibal islands and so improve our export trade with that region. I shall recommend legislation upon the subject in my first message. My campaign cry will be, desiccate the poor working man, stuff him into sausages. Well, these are about the worst parts of my record. On them, I come before the country. If my country doesn't want me, I will go back again. But I recommend myself as a safe man, a man who starts from the basis of total depravity and proposes to be fiendish to the last. <laughs> Well, that, I suppose, as they say, is slash was that. Once again, it's from 1879. It was widely syndicated. It was published in newspapers across the country and then most recently collected in a collection of American humor through the centuries that's out from the Library of America. Okay, so hi, Christopher again. Um, I'm going to read the start of one of my dear favorite books. Uh, it's called The Haunted Bookshop by Christopher Morley. It was published in 1919, and it's actually the sequel to another great novel, uh, Parnassus on Wheels. You know, one of the very last things I did before the stay-at-home order was to visit the new McNally Jackson bookstore in downtown Brooklyn. And it's really one of the things I miss most, being in a bookshop and just wandering around. But I think Christopher Morley captured a secondhand bookshop for the ages in his opening here. So here we go. Chapter One, The Haunted Bookshop. If you are ever in Brooklyn, that burrow of superb sunsets and magnificent vistas of husband-propelled baby carriages, it is to be hoped you may chance upon a quiet by-street where there is a very remarkable bookshop. This bookshop, which does business under the unusual name Parnassus at Home, is housed in one of the comfortable old brownstone dwellings which have been the joy of several generations of plumbers and cockroaches. The owner of the business has been at pains to remodel the house to make it a more suitable shrine for his trade, which deals entirely in second-hand volumes. There is no second-hand bookshop in the world more worthy of respect. 
It was about six o'clock of a cold November evening, with gusts of rain splattering upon the pavement, when a young man proceeded uncertainly along Gissing Street, stopping now and then to look at shop windows as though doubtful of his way. At the warm and shining face of a French rotisserie, he halted to compare the number enameled on the transom with a memorandum in his hand. Then he pushed on for a few minutes, at last reaching the address he sought. Over the entrance, his eye was caught by the sign. Parnassus at Home, R. and H. Mifflin. Book lovers welcome. This shop is haunted. He stumbled down the three steps that led into the dwelling of the muses, lowered his overcoat collar, and looked about. It was very different from such bookstores as he had been accustomed to patronize. Two stories of the old house had been thrown into one. The lower space was divided into little alcoves. Above, a gallery ran round the wall, which carried books to the ceiling. The air was heavy with the delightful fragrance of mellowed paper and leather, surcharged with a strong bouquet of tobacco. In front of him, he found a large placard and a frame. This shop is haunted by the ghosts of all great literature in hosts. We sell no fakes or trashes. Lovers of books are welcome here. No clerk will babble in your ear. Please smoke, but don't drop ashes. Browse as long as you like. Price of all books plainly marked. If you want to ask questions, you'll find the proprietor where the tobacco smoke is thickest. We pay cash for books. We have what you want, though you may not know you want it. Malnutrition of the reading faculty is a serious thing. Let us prescribe for you. By R.H. Mifflin, Proprietor. The shop had a warm and comfortable obscurity, a kind of drowsy dusk, stabbed here and there by bright cones of yellow light from green-shaded electrics. There was an all-pervasive drift of tobacco smoke, which eddied and fumed under the glass lampshades. Passing down a narrow aisle between the alcoves, the visitor noticed that some of the compartments were wholly in darkness. In others, where lamps were glowing, he could see a table and chairs. In one corner, under a sign lettered essays, an elderly gentleman was reading, with a face of fanatical ecstasy illumined by the sharp glare of electricity. But there was no wreath of smoke about him, so the newcomer concluded he was not the proprietor. As the young man approached the back of the shop, the general effect became more and more fantastic. On some skylight far overhead, he could hear the rain drumming, but otherwise the place was completely silent, peopled only, so it seemed, by the gurgitating whorls of smoke and the bright profile of the essay reader. It seemed like a secret fane, some shrine of curious rites, and the young man's throat was tightened by a stricture which was half agitation and half tobacco. Towering above him into the gloom were shelves and shelves of books, darkling toward the roof. He saw a table with a cylinder of brown paper and twine, evidently where purchases might be wrapped, but there was no sign of an attendant. And I'm going to let you meet R.H. Mifflin on your own. Uh, that was The Haunted Bookshop, published in 1919 by Christopher Morley. Hey, you know what? While we're at it, uh, let's share some recommendations. We read some 
I have a book and a podcast. Uh, the book is A Children's Bible by Lydia Millet. It comes out, I think, n- next month. It might be coming out in May. I don't know. The timing on all of these things has obviously changed. But it is, uh, as my wife just put it, it's a difficult book to read during the quarantines, but it's also, it's so good. I read it, it was one of the first books that I read sort of after all of this really settled in. It is the story of a group of young children, teenagers to little kids, who are the the children of rich parents, the kinds of parents who I think you would expect to all get together and get drunk and screw around in a summer house. And an apocalyptic storm descends on the summer house and the kids, who have kind of been running wild all summer, decide that they are going to strike out on their own. And it is... Oh, it's so good. It's a little allegorical at times, but man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I think it's only going to hit harder as we move through this pandemic time. The other recommendation is a new podcast out from Playwrights Horizons, the theater company here in New York City. It's called Soundstage. Um, this is, it's radio plays kind of, it's, it's, plays that are written for the podcast format. Two have come out so far, uh, one by Robert O'Hara called Gather, and the first one called Prime, a practical breviary, is by Heather Christian, a a good friend of mine, an artist who I really just adore and admire, and I had the great privilege of singing as a part of the choir, actually, in part of Prime. I won't tell you anything more about it. All I'll say is that you should go listen. And I'm going to recommend two things. First, I'm going to recommend Alexis Coe's You Never Forget Your First. It's this slim, punchy biography of George Washington that paints our first president in a new light. And most of it is unflattering, uh, but it's great. Coe is sort of gleefully ripping apart the myth of George Washington. And I just tore through it in a day. Um, And the other thing I'm going to recommend, it's music. It's it's this band called Danny and Alex and they're two songwriters. They write sort of pop funk and um, they've just got some great songs that I think you should start with um, break up haircut and then go from there if you like that. Um, So yeah. Thank you so much for listening and hanging out with us. Uh, We hope you guys are doing okay and doing everything you can and doing everything you can for each other. And yeah, we'll be back in two weeks in some form or another. See you then.